Uh, Father, we do thank you for the story of, of Daniel. Uh, t- today's story, Daniel's not even in here, but you are. I, I think that you have the center stage in this book, that you are God who is sovereign, uh, meaning that you are in control. Uh, your word tells us that you uh, raise up leaders and nations, and then you bring them down in your own timing. And Father, I moved in the story. Uh, it's evident that you in the story are working on this great, powerful, um, this mighty man, Nebuchadnezzar. And so, Father, as we work through the story, I pray that you would help us to see your, your patience with him, uh, your moving in his life to, uh, attempt, uh, to, to humble him, to, to help him to see that you exist and that you are in control. Um, Father, we thank you for these three men uh, who are really nobodies. They were exiles and they stood and they faced great consequences for standing for you. And there are many, many lessons in this chapter. And so, Father, as we work through this chapter, we ask that your spirit would move in each one of our lives, uh, for we come from many different places and backgrounds and situations. And so, Lord, I ask that you, uh, by your Spirit, would move through your Word and minister to each person that's here. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me as I uh, share the story. Uh, We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, normally I read the passage, but I want to give a little bit of an introduction um, to, to what we are about to read. The danger with chapter 3 is that it's so well known that this is a story. Like, I wasn't raised in the church, and I think I knew about the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fire. Like, I I know the story, not even being a church kid growing up. Um, And so sometimes when we know the story, we can kind of miss sort of the point. And I I do think um, that when we come to chapter 3, that we tend to think that the, the point, the emphasis, the focus, the lesson, um, what God is doing is on these three guys that were thrown into the fire. But the more I go through Daniel and the more I look at chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, the, the main character, not, I mean, second, God is the main character in the story, but, but he seems to be doing something with this guy Nebuchadnezzar. And I actually think that Nebuchadnezzar is, is the focus of chapter 3, and we'll get into that. But as we read the first 15 verses, there are some things that I want you to see. Um, there are words that repeat themselves over and over and over again. We see the word worship 12 times. Um, we see this word image uh, 10 times. But connected to that word image, we see the phrase set it up. Um, like Nebuchadnezzar set it up. I set it up. Nebuchadnezzar speaking over and over and over again. There is Nebuchadnezzar. He is the number one dog of the world at the time. And he set up this image. He set up this image. He set up this image. At the end of today's reading of the passage, we're going to end in verse 15. And as Nebuchadnezzar looks at these three Jewish men who are exiles, who are basically people that the nation that he's conquered, He looks at them and he says to them, and what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? So here's this prideful, arrogant, 
and he, and he had the resources to back up his pride and his arrogance and his abilities. And he says, what God is there that's greater than me? So you might as well listen to me and do what I have to say. And so I think the whole point of this story is to humble this man and to show this man that he is accountable to God and that there is a creator over him. And this God who is sovereign over all is going to use his three servant, servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, to, to reveal to him that, that there is a God that's greater than him. And so with that, let's read the story. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. For those of you that don't speak in cubits, that's 90 feet tall by nine feet wide. He had set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the rulers in the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations of men of every language, that at the moment that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music... All peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of a blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment that you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a burning, blazing fire. And what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would guide us now as we work our way through this story. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.
All right, so back to verse 1. If you just read through Daniel, you would be very confused at sort of the abrupt shift. Uh, it, back in chapter 2, verse 48, uh, or 47, uh, the king had had this horrifying dream of this, this, this image, this, um, this statue of sorts, this repeating dream over and over and over again that was terrifying to him. It was composed of five different parts, uh, the four of which we know historically were nations that had risen and then fallen. Uh, and he basically calls all his wise men and he says, hey, I need you guys to come here and help me understand this dream. And so the guys came and they're standing before him and they say, okay, tell us a dream and we'll interpret it for you. And the king says, no, 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 you guys are scamming me. You tell me the dream and then interpret it. And then I'll know you're telling me the truth kind of thing. And the guys are like, this is ridiculous. Nobody's asked this. This is impossible. Like, how can we tell you what dream you had? And so then an order went out to kill all the guys. And Daniel and his guys were included in these, this uh, execution squad. Daniel basically bought some time, and he then eventually went to the king, and he said, listen, these, these five parts, there's, uh, there's five kingdoms. You're the head of gold. And then after you, another kingdom is going to rise up, the Medo-Persians. He didn't say that, but historically we know it's the Medo-Persians. And then uh, another nation would rise up, which we know is... Um, as Greece would rise up, and then, we, then another kingdom, Rome, and then this divided kingdom would come, which we don't know this divided kingdom. Uh, we believe it yet to be future. And that rock you saw that was carved with no hands that basically struck the bottom and, and disseminated this whole, uh, or destroyed this, this statue, and then the statue was scattered into the wind like dust, uh, that's God's kingdom, and he's coming to destroy all. And so the king in verse 47, after he hears Daniel, he basically, surely your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries. And since you have been able to reveal this mystery, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And we see Daniel and his boys basically get promoted to the kingdom. The, the king seems to have some sort of heart of repentance, some sort of change. Um, but as Alistair Begg, Begg said, that he was charmed, not changed which happens to a lot of us. And we read verse 1 of chapter 3. Immediately following this huge change, we see Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. This huge image. Now what we don't see in this passage is the time that moved forward. Um, so we believe that about 16 to 20 years have elapsed. One of the reasons that they believe this is in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, that the Jews used for, for, for much of that uh, period of history uh, during the time of Alexander the Great when he conquered the world and changed the language to Koine Greek. Uh, it tells us that this was in, I believe it was in the 18th year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now you can, there's, there's a bunch of speculation. Uh, there's some evidence that it would make sense I don't know if you guys remember three weeks ago as we covered, I showed you the, the map of, of um, I almost said Ireland, but I don't know what I'm thinking about, Ireland, Israel. Um, the northern kingdom had been taken cap into captivity in 722 BC. Then the southern kingdom was taken by Babylon in three waves. The first wave was in 605 BC, this is where Daniel and probably about 70 young men that were prestigious men in the uh, Israeli sort of empire were taken in order to um, 
to brainwash them, to, 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 show, to take the finest of the finest and then to basically make them Babylonian in the inside. And so if we take this date 16 years later, that would put us at 586 BC, which would time with, with the fall of, of the southern kingdom that every Jew knows. And that's 586 BC. That's when the Babylonians went into Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They, they decimated the nation and Israel ceased to exist um, as a nation. And so historians believe that the beginning of chapter 3 coincides with the destruction of Jerusalem. And over this 16 to 20 year period of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this, this man who might have been charmed by the gospel early on, in his power, in his might of destruction and taking over the world, Basically, he said, well, God gave me this dream or whatever. I had this dream, but I'm going to change the dream from five nations to one nation. And he created this image of gold. I told you it was 90 feet high by nine feet wide. This isn't, this is probably the human figure that we would like to have, um, but human figures tend to be a little bit wider um, than those dimensions. Um, when I was in Mongolia a few years ago, if you can go to the next slide, this is, the, this is a, a, a statue I saw. Now, I want to point out that this is a person. You see the person down there? You see uh, that pixel and the statue. And so this picture is taken. There's a big hill uh, that has a huge another thing on the top of it that was a, a sort of a monument to Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan as we know him. And, and you look down... And this statue, like I remember when I was there, Josh says this statue is almost the same dimensions as what's found in Daniel chapter 3. And so it's, I mean, I, I haven't got the ruling whether ginormous is an actual word, but I, but I believe this is a ginormous statue. And there wasn't the five parts. It's all gold. He created it all gold. And this is his, his sort of, uh, his line in the stand with God saying, you think you rise up leaders and take them down, but nobody's been able to take me down. And I'm going to erect this statue, and I'm going to bring in the whole world, which I have now successfully conquered. And when you see the repetition, the repetition in verses 2 and 3, that he, yeah, man, I, 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 you know, the satraps, the prefix, the no, 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 all these people. The, he gathered the world, all of the languages that they spoke, everything. And then by the time you get down to, to, to verse 4, when the herald gets up and he says, okay, everybody, we have you all gathered before the statue. And we're going to have all of these instruments go. And there were bagpipes in there. <laughs> and, and when this music goes, you're all going to fall on your faces. And you're going to worship this statue. And you're basically demonstrating that Nebuchadnezzar is Lord over all. And so that's the situation that we see. If you don't do this, uh, you're going to be cremated alive, which was a thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. If you, uh, what time is it? I'm trying to look at the time. We're going to, in Jeremiah 29, 21 through 22, this chapter that, we, that Christians often quote from, sort of divorced from uh, the context, you know, for I, for, for I know, uh, I memorized it during VBS, um, for I have good plans for you, you know, to prosper, to, to, to that stuff, that one, you know. Um, 
the plans I have for you to prosper you to to because I have too many files open up in my computer right now. So the whole context of this, this is while Israel is taken into captivity. Like this whole nation had been taken captive by this barbarian of a man and people had been executed, scattered. And God says, don't worry, I'm still in control. Even though you're going through this, I do have a plan for you. And then in verses 21 through 22, he says this curse. He says, the curse of these people that I'm going to deal with, they're going to be barbecued alive by Nebuchadnezzar. They didn't use the word barbecue, but basically cremated alive by his fire. And he had these huge, like, like a, a steel sort of thing. And the way the wind would blow through like the tunnel, and then there was a top part so that it could uh, create a draft to get the fire super hot. They wouldn't use wood. They would get it burning so they could burn coal. And the heat of these things was, was ridiculously hot. And this was just sort of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's gig. This is how he liked to execute people. He would burn them alive. Death by cremation. So this wasn't something he was unfamiliar with. So the herald says, you're going to come to this statue. We have you all gathered here. We're going to play a bunch of music. At the time, you're going to fall down, and you're going to worship Nebuchadnezzar's little statue that he set up. Then we come to verse 8. And it says, for, for this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. <clears throat> it's interesting, the history of anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking even t- today following yesterday's tragedy in Pittsburgh with the synagogue uh, where 11 people were murdered for being Jewish. Like, this is nothing new. And so here are these Jews that are in captivity by the Babylonians. In chapter 2, they rise up to prominence. And I, and I see some racism. I see some... These guys don't like these guys to start with. So for this reason, at, this, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, first they're going to butter him up. O king, live forever. We love you. You're great. You're awesome. You're all-powerful. We hate to even come to bother you by bringing this to your attention. Verse 10, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hort, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be, cut into, uh, shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. And there are certain Jews, and I, almost, I wish I could hear the tone of their voice, whom you appointed. You placed these guys over all. Authority over us, your people, these are Jews who we've taken into captivity, who we've conquered the nation. You've, you've conquered this nation and you've placed these guys over us. These Jews who have you appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you. Now there's a lot of speculation or question, uh, like why was Daniel not there? So some reasons are given, well, Daniel was serving in a capacity that maybe he was not, he was with the king, and he wasn't necessarily like, he wasn't subjected to this, or 
he was there, but Daniel had such the reputation with the king because Daniel's the guy who interpreted his dream that there's no way these guys are going to even throw Daniel under the bus. We, we don't know. All we know is that Daniel is not mentioned, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are mentioned to the king. He said, these men have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods nor or worship the golden image which you have set up. They've disregarded you. What are we to do? There was this threat. And so we see Nebuchadnezzar in a rage and anger, which seems to be his mode of operation. We'll see this again in verse 19. He flies off the handle. He's visibly anger. Who has the audacity to go against him and to challenge his order? And so he basically gave orders to bring the three guys to him. They brought before him Nebuchadnezzar. Apparently he knew, I mean, he had to have known who these guys, he knew who Daniel was. He knew that when Daniel interpreted the dream, Daniel says, hey, I want these three guys also, and they're with me, and I want them placed in, in powerful positions. And so the king has to know who these guys are, and he's like, ah, some mistake, some, some mistake had to have been made. And, <clears throat> and so he brings the guys before them, and he's kind of like, it's been brought to my understanding that for some reason he didn't bow down. There, there, there must have just been a misunderstanding. So we're going to set the whole thing back up. We're going to take you down the thing. We're going to get all the music set up. And we'll just, I'll just say the word and you guys just go ahead and do it. Kind of, we'll do just a quick do-over. No harm, no foul. When you're in these situations, like literally in these situations where everybody bows down, the people who stand stick out like sore thumbs. You know, we prayed for Ben and Beth and Bradley today, and Ben, when, when I visited him, he, in, in Japan, it's very interesting how everybody kind of goes along with the system. And Ben says, you got to go with the system because the, the nail that stands out gets hammered, <laughs> you know, like, and you don't want to get in trouble. I, I see the story, and I remember when I was a younger guy and I was, I was in Saudi Arabia. We were told not to go out into town, but we opted to go out into town. And we, <laughs> man, there was Pizza Hut out there, and we wanted to get some food. And so we, so we decided that we, we, arranged, we had a connection with, with the special forces guy, with the Saudi Arabian forces. He lined up a bus. He's like, oh, this guy's a good guy. He'll take you out. And it's like, okay. And so we're driving through Saudi Arabia. I have no idea where we were. And we stopped at a place, and we went into this little market, and I remember in there going, okay, we really stand out as, like, Americans, and we need to get out. Like, we should, we should probably, like, leave. And so then the bus was across this huge, like, courtyard, parking lot, and as we were leaving the building, and our bus was all the way on the other side, it was like the call to prayer, and thousands of people like flooded into this courtyard and had their prayer mats and they were all getting down. And so we knew the policy, like if there were one or two people praying, you never would walk in front of them because you don't want to walk in between them and Mecca. So you could walk while they're praying, but you had to stay behind them, but you were never to go in front of them. And let's just say the thousands of people that were there, our bus was basically facing Mecca. And so it's like, how... <laughs> Like, guys, let's just run as fast as we can, hop, skip it over the people praying. Got on the bus, and we're like, let's go. And we, we beelined out of there, and it was terrifying. I was afraid that we would read about us in the newspaper the next morning. 
Thankfully, nothing happened. But when the whole world drops and you're left standing, there's like nothing, there's no. And I think about these guys. They've been taken into captivity. There's no way their mom's going to find out whether they bend their knee or not. God has them here in this special place. Like certainly they could do more for God if they just simply, everybody knows it's a stupid statue and there's nothing like just to do that. What harm is there? We are great compromises, compromisers. We can make excuses for ourselves. We can justify um, points of compromise. And so now these guys already stood up once and they didn't bow. But now they're before the man himself. And he says to them in verse 14, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Certainly this can't be. You guys have served me faithfully. You've excelled in every area. And they, they were respectful for, to him. And they honored him. And he says, now if you're ready, at the moment that you hear the sound of all these instruments, and you f- fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. Like, let's just do, let's do the do-over. But if you don't, you're going to be cast into this fiery furnace. And like, what God is there? That, like, come on, guys. Like, do you think your Jewish God can spare you? Like, I've just taken your whole nation into captivity. I've decimated the world. Certainly your God doesn't exist. Certainly your God isn't powerful enough to, to intervene in this situation. Just bow down. Come on. You guys are going to make a fool out of me. So then we have this, this moment of truth. Here these guys are trying to honor this God-appointed king that doesn't make sense, but at the same time stay true to their God. And I do feel like this is going to be a point of contention that we as Christians are going to face more and more going into the future. How do we submit to, to an ungodly government that God has said that he's appointed that we're to subject ourselves to at the same time not compromising? Um, how is it that there were only three guys that stood out amongst the 70 that were taken into captivity? Like, I'll never forget, like, what, my first trip to Israel, the, one of the, the, tri- the things that I was most looking forward to was going to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum. And I'd heard that outside of the Holocaust Museum, they, they had set up this garden of trees called the, the Garden of the Righteous Nations. And I, I really um, wanted to get out there to see the Ten Boom family tree. And so I'd gone through the Holocaust Museum and I was with the group and I'm kind of like, oh, okay, I got to find the tree. I got to find the tree. And then before I found the tree, Jacob, our tour guide, said, I, uh, before you guys go into this garden, I need to talk with you all. It's like, okay, he wants to talk to us all. It's, okay, time out on the Tenboom tree. I'll get to it. We sit down. And this short little stubby Jewish man with his beard, old guy, said, I need to talk to you guys before you guys go hopping and skipping through the Garden of the Righteous. He's like, there's 2,000 trees out there. He's like, and he told us about how his parents were killed in the Holocaust. And he's like, I come to this garden. He's got tears flowing through his eyes or out of his eyes. And he says, I don't understand 
How is it that the whole world saw what was happening to my parents? And we only have 2,000 trees of millions of people. Of, this isn't nation, these, are, these are individuals that they can only account for like 2,000 families that stood while this atrocity was happening, while everybody else. It changed my whole experience of that garden. It's convicting. So I come to the story, and it's like, we know that 70 young men were taken into captivity, but how is it that only three now are standing against Nebuchadnezzar saying, I'm not going to bow? And how often do we as Christians just take a knee and go along with the crowd instead of standing up to do the right thing or standing up and abstaining from the flow of traffic that's happening amongst our nation, our people? It's convicting. Because it's always harder to do the right thing. Like almost without, it's so hard to do the right thing. So I see these guys, what are they going to do? And so verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. I I love it. They they could go through, king, we're Jews. Look at us. You took us in a captivity. We believe in like one God, one creator. We, we believe that he's sovereign. We've already explained to you that we believe that he sets up kings and r- r- brings down kings. And we have all of these reasons. We've, got, we've done everything that we can do. We've, we, we've honored you. We've served you faithfully for like 20 years. But on this one point, we just can't do that. They, they don't do that. They say, king, we don't have to. We're not going to justify ourselves. We're, we just, we're not going to do it. And so we're going to honor God. You make the decision of what you got to do. You can do what you got to do, and we're going to do what our, we got to do. But they do say a little bit about their God. And they say, if it be so, our God whom you serve is able to, if, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So we love the first part. And in this story, it's really easy for us to get sidetracked on the first part. Um, it's really easy for us to come to this and to view God sort of like the, the lucky rabbit's foot, that he's at our beck and call and that he can do whatever we want him to do to make our lives better. The reality is if you go through the, the biblical history, God's people normally got the short end of the stick. They normally didn't survive in their human lives. The, the apostles, all of them, except for John, were executed for their faith and their testimony of who Christ was. John, the, there was attempts of, of, uh, at his life by the state as well, but they just failed. And so I don't, he may have had it worse. And in this story, I, I think that they survived because God was doing something in Nebuchadnezzar's life. So if they were killed in this fire, all it would do is strengthen Nebuchadnezzar's position that he was the world leader in all things and no God could do anything to him. But if God would spare these three guys in the fire, what would that do to Nebuchadnezzar's sense of uh, sovereignty? But the second half of this is what I think that we need, like, But even if he does not, 
But even if he does not spare us, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do whatever you have to do. They had no basis to make the like. There, like there wasn't like a whole line of God rescuing people out of the fiery furnace. Like this hadn't happened. And, and I do think, like, while I believe that God's in the business of doing miracles, I think miracles are called miracles, not normals, because they're outside of the scope of normal. And, and so there wasn't, like, this whole thing that they, that they had a long history of actually being executed. And so, like, a lot of their family members, they say, okay, God, whatever, or whatever you want to do, Nebuchadnezzar, like, throw us in. God can rescue us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and worship you. Philip Yancey, in one of his books, tells a story about this, uh, this nationally acclaimed pole vaulter. Those guys are crazy in my mind. I have a hard time watching tra- trampolines. Then you throw a stick into it, and it's like, oh, man, this is, like, not good. But this guy, um, what is his name? Brian something. Um, let me just read it. So he's a nationally acclaimed track star. He held several records in Paul Vaught competition. In the 1963 season, when Brian was 19 years old, he held unbelievable success. He made sports headlines every week. He remained undefeated in outdoor competition, and he set his first world record. Excitement and thrills embellished the spring and summer for the Sternbergs, was his name, Brian Sternberg. Then three weeks after Brian had set his last world record, Everything changed. On July 2nd, 1963, while working out on a trampoline, he goes up and he comes down and he heard a crack and immediately he lost all sensation in his body and he was, he was turned into a quadriplegic. And he knew, he knew instantaneously what had happened. Now, this guy was a believer and a, a year later, he was asked to, to, to write a story for Look Magazine, this Christian magazine about his accident and the, the change that he went through. And he ended with these powerful words to describe his biblical view of faith. And he wrote this, Having faith is a necessary step toward one of two things. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind if healing does not come is the other, and either will suffice. And so he like this, My God can heal me if he chooses to, but even if he doesn't. I'm okay with that because I have peace that God's sovereign and he's in control. And so the king didn't react well in verse 19. Uh, He flew off the handle was the technical term. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expressions, his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven more times than it was usually heated. And I think, this guy is just flying off the handle. Like, one hand is kind of stupid. Like, if he really wants to make them miserable, he should have said, hey, lower it a few degrees. Let's slow roast our meat this time because then it'll be more painful and horrifying for them as they slowly die. But he's so furious, he's like, seven times just means just get it super duper hot. Like get it really, really hot because I'm angry and we're going to take care of these guys and I'm going to show that nobody defies the king. 
So he commanded that certain Navy SEALs or certain valiant warriors, however you read it, <clears throat> were in his army to tie on oh, his army. Ah, rats, <laughs> maybe green, <laughs> maybe green beanies or something to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of the blazing fire. These men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was so urgent, the furnace had been made extremely hot, and the flame of the fire slew these men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these guys that are carrying up these tied-up individuals to go there, the heat is so overwhelming that, that they are that they're killed, um, which happens. Like, I'm not a fireman, and nor do I play one on TV, but I've been around some of them. And I remember a few years ago, a couple Christmases ago, there was a house in, in it was a tragedy, a house in Escondido caught on fire during Christmas season. And uh, an officer I know, a police officer, w- went into this building and basically, he started throwing the kids out of the window to get out of there. And so I was brought in to talk to this guy, and the fireman that looked at him said, you, you almost died. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, I just busted in there. They're like, yeah, but you, there's, did you see the, I forget what they call it, like the ceiling or, or something. And he's like, well, no, I was too busy, like down, it was so hot. And they're like, if you lifted your head up, you would have been in this, this whatever, this thermal range that you would have been killed because it's so hot. And so I see these guys, as they're going, they're basically hit by the heat. They go down, and in their last effort to honor their commander-in-chief, they basically kick the three guys into the furnace with sort of their, their last feat of courage. Verse 23, But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and he stood up in haste and he said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast in the, the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, yeah, 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 it was three. And he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking around in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And there's great speculation over what this fourth image is. You know, it, it's... You can read it as an angel. Some, and I, I tend to lean towards this is, this is a, a, the pre-incarnate Christ making an earthly appearance. And we see that they're just like, I'm not, I wish there was video of these stories. Like, they're in the, like our thinking is that we would be trying to get out of the fire and they seem to be just like walking around, hanging out, like talking or something. Like they're, they're just, can I say they're chilling out in the midst of the, like I... <clears throat> but, but they're in the midst there. And then Nebuchadnezzar came, came near, like as close as he could to the blazing fire, and he had to yell into them, hey guys, can you come out of there please? <laughs> Let's try to take two. <clears throat> then uh, verse 26, I'm going to repeat a little bit, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace, the blazing fire, and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Interesting. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. 
the satraps, the prefects, the governors, all the people that were there basically to condemn them, had gathered around and saw in regard to these men that, their, that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these, these, these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor, this is the biggest miracle of all, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Like, I love barbecuing. Like, one of my proudest accomplishments is that I have got John Johnston to buy in to Santa Maria-style barbecue because it's been a direct benefit to our church. Amen? <laughs> so when you barbecue, like, one of the sacrifices of barbecuing is you, can, like, when I, like, barbecuing over Santa Maria-style grill, like, I'll take a shower, I'll do the neti pot, I'll do, like, everything, and I lay down in my bed that night, and that's like, I still smell the barbecue. <laughs> it's like in me. I can't, get, I, I can't get it out of me. So these guys go in the fire, they're closed. Everything is perfectly intact. Nothing burned, not their hair. Like you even go to a hot fire and you put your, you're going to lose hair on your hand, and your arms because it, it singes up. Nothing except for the thing that bound them. It's fascinating. They all see this. Spurgeon said, Beloved, you must go into the furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest dealings with Christ Jesus. I love that. That like it was there that Christ met with them. It was there that Christ freed them from the thing that was bounding them. And I think that the greatest thing that God accomplished here is, is he's chipping away at Nebuchadnezzar. Next week's going to get even stranger with this man. So verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded their bodies so as not to serve or to worship any other God except for their own. He, he rec- he's like, they went into that fire because they refused to bow the knee to any other God and their God delivered them. And his mind was blown. This, like, this is a man that's up there with like Hitler, um, these great men of like horrible things that, that had the world at their fingertips. And Nebuchadnezzar, at this point in history, there was nobody that could stand up to them. And these three men who were nobodies, who he'd taken into captivity, stood to him. And as he went to execute him, something that he was very good at, they survived before his eyes. To, to the point when he's nearly speechless. And blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any of their God but their own. He's like, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish heap insomuch as... Let's go back to verse 15. What God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? 
What does he end with? Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Whoa. Whoa. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in their province of Babylon. So when I look at the story, I see God's hand. I've said it every week that the theme of Daniel is that there is a God in heaven and he is sovereign over the nations, even though we don't understand it. That's just my inserting the theme. God is directing and shaping world history towards his own end. Nothing is out of control. We might not understand it. We might not understand why the people that are over us are governing us as they do. But we as followers of Christ, we can sit back and say, you know what, my God's in control. And I'm going to honor the authorities that are over me so much as I don't violate my own conscience and the directives that God has given. We see Nebuchadnezzar in this story. And we see this great man who's losing this futile battle against God. Like in every chapter, in next chapter, it's just crazy next. I mean, like, no pun intended, no, no pun intended, that he literally goes crazy next. Like, he goes crazy, and he writes a letter. And so there's evidence that Nebuchadnezzar converts. And he writes this letter to us about how this whole, this other dream he has, and then he goes crazy. And... Like he's like an animal for seven years. And, and like I think that he's writing it. We'll figure out next week. I'll tell you more next week. But it's like it, it seems to be that we see this, this patience of God working on this man. It's slow, but God is patient and he's merciful. And then we see these three guys, these three nobodies that... that these guys are, these are exiles. And they're able to stand up to the king and say, our God can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, so be it. We trust him. If he doesn't deliver us, it's because he has a plan. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that if you're going through suffering, have you ever considered that you're going through suffering for the purpose of something that God is doing in somebody else's life? And I think it takes a long view of like discipleship and growth to recognize, you know what, I'm going through this. I don't understand what it's going through, but, I, but God could be actually using this picture of suffering to encourage somebody else or to help them through something that I don't even understand. I certainly don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they were about to be thrown into this fire, thought, oh, this is okay. God's using this torture because, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is going to convert. No way, man. He was untouchable. Like he, there's, like it just. But we see that God used these three guys to, who are nobodies to affect this guy that was like untouchable. And so I love that we see this picture of God that He's sovereign, meaning that He's in control. There's nothing that gets out of God's hands. We see tragedies like yesterday. I'm not saying that God caused, like God in His like. God has allowed certain things to happen. And I don't understand them. But certainly they're not slipping through the cracks and God's not aware of them. And God's going to deal with, with evil in this world. And that's where the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel end up going is that, that, that God's followers understand that no matter how bad it gets, that our God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's going to take care of everything. 
We see that he's patient and merciful in Nebuchadnezzar's life because there's a lot of Nebuchadnezzars in our midst, amen? Like, I, like, like in my journey to Christ, I was very much a Nebuchadnezzar in my own right. I like being in control. I like doing things my way. I like Burger King because they want to do it my way. You know, like, like I, like we, we all are that way. We're prideful. We're arrogant. We think that we're more important than we are. And God is saying, you know what? You want to settle with me out of court? Because if you wait to stand before me to settle with me, it's going to go a whole lot worse for you. But I'm telling you that I'm here, and I've provided a way for you to humble yourselves and to get right with me. And we see these three men that, that faced overwhelming odds and this sovereign God was faithful to them. Even if they died, God was faithful to them because we can't see beyond the horizon of this life. And every saint that has is, that is faced the wrath of man has been executed for their standing faithful to God. God has proved faithful to them. And they will reap benefits that we can't understand in this life. So with that, let's pray. God, we do thank you for the story of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego, which I'm convinced is really the story of Nebuchadnezzar. In these three chapters of chapter 2, 3, and 4, Nebuchadnezzar has center stage. <clears throat> and it's easy to come down on this man um, as a tyrant, as an as a evil man. He was, and history shows that. Um, but as we look at his life, his life is commingled with you, God. And your sovereignty, your patience, your mercy towards him is evident. And as you dealt with him, you deal with us. And so, God, we thank you for your patience with us. The the Bible uses the word long-suffering. We thank you that you are merciful to us, that you withhold wrath that is due us for the sins that we have committed. Uh, Father, we thank you for your grace that has been poured out abundantly in our lives. We ask, Lord, as we uh, enter into November and head towards Thanksgiving, we, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us this month to, to set our minds and hearts on things that we're grateful for, to, to recognize all that you've done for us in Christ. Your word tells us that you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And Lord, as we look at these three young men, or they're a little bit older now in today's story, But as we see the courage that they had not to compromise, we're convicted, or I'm convicted, that um, it's so easy, the temptation to compromise for the sake of being politically correct, to compromise for the sake of a a gentler, easier path, is always there. And so, Father, like these three men, we ask that you would help us um, to, to really stand for you that we wouldn't fear man, but that we would keep our focus on you. Uh, Lord, we're grateful again for this story. We ask that it would permeate our minds and hearts this week as we go about our business. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.